Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 24. Kind of a bittersweet, bittersweet morning. We get to finish Ephesians. Began it when I arrived like a year and a half ago, and of course we've been, we've been in and out of it, but uh, I don't know. I was going to count how many sermons I had preached from Ephesians, and I forgot to do that. My guess is that it's somewhere around 35. That's my guess. I'll count and, and let you know. But uh, yeah, it's always kind of a, 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 it feels like a sense of accomplishment, I think, when you work through a, a book of the Bible verse by verse to the extent that we have uh, worked through the book of Ephesians. Uh, kind of just, just dwelling on the various truths and picking it apart, and, and now we come to the end. So Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 24, Paul has just uh, given us the teaching on the armor of God, and you'll notice verse 18 kind of begins in the middle of a sentence, and I'll address that in the message. But this is what we read, beginning at verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Dear congregation, Paul, he, he draws this letter to a close by commanding us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And, and Paul has told us why we must be strong in the Lord. It's because we have a real, powerful, spiritual enemy who wages war against the kingdom of God and the souls of God's people. And then Paul has told us how to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's by putting on the whole armor of God. Now, as, as Paul brings this, this letter to a close, he reminds us that we have two indispensable resources which are to be used in conjunction with the whole armor of God. What are those two indispensable resources? Well, those two indispensable resources are these. They are prayer and people. Prayer and people. Those are the two indispensable resources that we are to utilize in conjunction with the armor of God. Let's begin with prayer. Okay, it's worth noting that within Paul's instructions for being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, prayer is given more prominence and attention than any single piece of the armor. 
And not only that, but, but, but prayer here is, is set apart from the armor and that it isn't identified with any particular piece of armor. Okay, prayer here is, is in its own category. Prayer here stands apart. And, and notice how verse 18 begins in the ESV. It begins with the word praying, praying. That word praying is what we call in the Greek language a present participle. And a present participle is a word that signifies ongoing, continuous action. Boys and girls, we might notice something else about that word praying. That word praying is not capitalized. We know what that means. It means that, that this word praying, it, it doesn't begin a new sentence, okay? It's actually a continuation of a sentence which Paul began previously. Now, what does all of this grammar teach us? Well, what it teaches us is that prayer isn't just something we're to do in addition to putting on the whole armor of God. No, prayer is something we're to do as we put on the whole armor of God. We might say that, that prayer is, is to accompany on every side our putting on the armor of God. Prayer is what enables us to put on the armor of God. Prayer is what causes the armor of God to, to be effective and real in our lives. Perhaps, perhaps it could be said that, that prayer isn't a, a piece of the armor. Prayer is kind of the armory, if you will. Prayer is, is the place we go to, to get our belt and to get our breastplate and to get our shoes and to get our shield and our helmet and our sword. It's the armory. Now this, in verse 18, this is, an, this is an unmistakable and resounding call to prayer. All right? We'll notice that in this verse, the word all is used four times in connection with prayer. All right, Paul begins by saying that we're to, we're to be praying at all times in the Spirit. I might ask, when do you pray? Do you pray in the morning when you get up? Do you pray in the evening before bed? Do you pray before dinner? Do you pray after dinner? Do you pray in church? Do you pray when you're in trouble? Do you pray when you're tempted? Do you, do you pray when you're happy? When do you pray? Well, hopefully you play, pray in each and every one of those situations I just mentioned. Because Paul is clear, right? We are to pray at all times in the Spirit. Prayer is something we're to be doing often and continually and, and in any and every situation. Our whole lives are to be, to be bathed in prayer. James Boyce writes, all situations in life should draw forth prayer from us. If we're happy... We should express our happiness to God. If we're despondent, we should pray about that. We should pray at work. We should pray at school. We should pray on vacation. We should pray when we're with friends. We should pray when we deal with enemies. There should be no situations in life from which prayers to God are absent. That's what Paul is saying with that first all. We're to be praying at all times. Paul then writes that we're to pray with all prayer and supplication 
And by this, Paul simply means that that we're to pray at all times and we're to pray using all kinds of prayers. You remember the acronym, probably, you learned about praying, right? Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Those might be four different kinds of prayers, but we're to pray using all different kinds of prayers. Prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of petition, prayers of praise, prayers of lament. We're to pray using all kinds of prayers. Paul then says, to that end, keep alert with, here's the third all, all perseverance. With these words, Paul is telling us that there must be a determination and a persistence to our prayers. And the reason is because it's in prayer and through prayer that that we remain spiritually alert and spiritually watchful. Paul says that here, but, but we see that also in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? There in the garden, Jesus says to his disciples, watch and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. It's by means of prayer that we keep alert, that we remain spiritually watchful. Remember, we we are living our lives in enemy territory to some degree. The, The supernatural powers of evil are at work in this world, are at work around us. What do you do when you're in enemy territory? If you're a soldier, somebody has to keep watch. And so it is spiritually. Prayer is the means by which we keep watch as we live our lives in enemy territory. And so there's to be a determination and a persistence to our prayers. Just as a soldier who falls asleep on watch puts himself and his whole platoon at risk, so does the Christian who falls asleep in prayer put himself at risk. So we're to pray at all times, we're to pray in all ways, we're to pray with all perseverance. Finally, Paul says we're to pray for all the saints. That's the fourth all. So Paul's clear, our our prayers aren't just to concern ourselves. Our prayers are to concern the people of God. Our prayers are to concern also our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We are to pray for one another. We're to to pray for all the saints. Somebody recently told me that, that, that he and his family pray through their church directory over the course of the year. I've actually done that as a pastor since I began ministry as well, pray through the church directory in my office. I would say that's, that's a very practical way for us, each and every one of us, to, to pray for all the saints, right? We might think, pray for all the saints. How, how do I even begin to do that? Well, we'll pray through the directory, That might be how you begin to do that. Take a family or two families a day. You'll make it through the directory several times a year at that rate. But we're to pray for all the saints. We're to pray for one another. But just notice again, this is an unmistakable and a resounding call to prayer in verse 18, which concludes Paul's teaching on the armor of God. And it's almost like Paul is is saying, listen, okay, listen. In your struggle against the devil and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, put on the whole armor of God and for crying out loud, don't forget to pray. That's the sense you get here. Don't forget to pray. Whatever you do, okay, don't forget to pray. 
reminded of, of the disciples in Mark 9. There's a boy, he's possessed by an unclean spirit, and the spirit has made him mute, and the spirit has afflicted him with severe seizures. And uh, one of this boy's parents brings him one day to, to the disciples and says, can you heal my boy? And the disciples, they're unable to cast the unclean spirit out of the boy. Jesus at that time happens to come down from the mountain of transfiguration. He's a little late arriving on the scene, or I should say he, he arrives on the scene after the disciples fail to cast out the demon. And, uh, and the boy's parent goes to Jesus, and the boy's parent tells Jesus what's going on and asks Jesus if he can cast the evil spirit out of the boy. And of course, Jesus, Jesus does it, and Jesus heals the boy. And after all that happens, listen to what Mark writes. Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 28. And when Jesus had entered the house, his disciples asked him, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You get it? The disciples, the disciples wondered why they were unable to cast the unclean spirit out of the boy. And Jesus says, I'll tell you why. You forgot to pray. You forgot to pray. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised that here in Ephesians 6, as Paul speaks about our own struggles against the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, he wraps it up by placing such an emphasis on prayer. It's almost like he's saying, whatever you do, don't forget to pray. You have to pray. Prayer is an indispensable resource that is to be used in conjunction with the whole armor of God. But there is a second resource, and that second resource is people. And by people, we specifically mean other Christians, other believers. Notice, Paul avails himself of the resource of other Christians in verses 19 and 20, when he asks the Ephesians to pray for him. And Paul avails the Ephesians of this resource in verses 21 and 22 when he sends to them this man Tychicus to encourage them. And Paul, Paul reiterates uh, this need for other people also when he pronounces the benediction in verse 23. This is the benediction. Verse 23, peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In this benediction, Paul is ultimately asking God to bless the Christians in Ephesus with the very things that solidify their unity in Christ. And Paul's made this clear throughout the letter. The first word he mentions here is peace. Paul says, peace be to the brothers. Yes, peace is is what is afforded to us by the gospel. It's what serves as shoes for our feet, Ephesians 6.15 says. But peace is also what God has made between Jew and Gentile through the blood of the cross. And peace is also what is to characterize life in the church. We see that in Ephesians 4 verse 3. And then there's the word love. Love is, love is what God has shown us in Christ. 
Love is also what we are to exercise toward all the saints. Paul says that in Ephesians 1.15 and Ephesians 4.15. And then there's the word faith. Faith is the means by which we're born again. It's the means by which we're united, united to Christ. Faith is also the, the basis for our unity as believers. Paul said that in Ephesians 4 verse 13. So he's asking God here to bless his readers with the very things that solidify their unity and make them one in Christ. Okay, Paul understands, doesn't he, that if these people are going to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, they need to put on the whole armor of God, and they need to pray, and they need one another. Okay, other people, other Christians, other believers are an indispensable resource in our seeking to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You cannot live the Christian life alone. A a phenomenon that came out of COVID is is Christians who sit at home, and I'll just talk to them because they're not here, they're at home, and they watch church each and every week. And we're, we're glad they watch our church each and every week. If you watch our church each and every week and you don't come here, we are glad about that. But note well, you need the body of Christ. And I'm clearly looking at the camera, aren't I? You need the body of Christ. You can't do this on your own. And we we all need the body of Christ. We need other people to help us be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Perhaps those watching at home say, Well, what exactly do I need the body of Christ for? I can read the Bible, I can pray. Well, You need people to pray for you. That's what Paul asked for here, right? Verses 19 and 20. After asking the Ephesians to pray for all the saints, he asked the Ephesians to pray for him. He says, and pray for me also. Charles Spurgeon was was once asked about the secret to his success. He he was one of the most powerful and influential preachers of, of the 19th century We're still blessed today by Spurgeon's preaching and by Spurgeon's writing. He was asked, what makes you so effective? That's a new one for me right there, isn't it? (laughs) Hey, buddy, you got it. If you're going to sit through, we need our toy. No, it's all good. (laughs) I love it. Keep doing it. You can do that anytime you want. What makes you so effective? They were asked to Spurgeon. And you know what Spurgeon said? My people pray for me. That's what Spurgeon said. That's what made him such an effective minister of the gospel. My people pray for me. Paul knows this secret as well. He understands that if if he's going to be a faithful minister of the gospel, he needs his people to pray for him. So he asks for prayer. I know that as well. If I'm going to be a faithful minister of the gospel, I need, I need my people to pray for me, and I'm thankful that many of you do pray for me, and many of you have told me you pray for me, and I would say to you, keep it up. But you all need people to pray for you too. You do. And, and we know this. We, we affirm this as a church. What does Dan set up for our youth group? Prayer partners. Why do we do that? Because we know that we need people to pray for us. And so I'm going to say to any one of you this morning who are here, if you do not know of anyone in your life right now, even if you're watching online, 
If you don't know of anyone in your life who prays for you regularly, send me an email this week, and we will make sure that there is someone who prays for you regularly, all right? If you don't know of anybody in your life, you don't have a mom, a grandma, a dad, a brother, a sister, husband, wife, you don't know of anyone who prays for you, send me an email. We'll get someone praying for you. We all need people to pray for us. We do. We also need people to encourage us. That, 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 that's what Tychicus is going to do, right? Paul writes in verses 21 and 22, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This week I, I went on a, a pastor's retreat to the conference grounds. There was other ministers there from classes Zealand. You know what effect that retreat has on me? Encouragement. We go for two days, we, we play games, we eat way too much food. We had a speaker, did a Bible study. Me and Pastor Hemstreet won the Euchre tournament. It was wonderful. My brother Tim would be proud of me, taught me well. But when I left, what, what was the effect? It was, a, it was an effect of encouragement. I was encouraged to continue doing ministry. This is the effect other people have on us. And we, we all need to be encouraged. Mothers need to be encouraged, especially after their kid throws a toy up to Pastor Dirk. <laughs> you know I love you. So, yes, we do love that, by the way. Mothers need to be encouraged, right? Mothers who get their kids to church. Each and every, that's hard work being a mother. Serving God as a mother. Mothers need to be encouraged to continue serving Christ as a mother. Men need to be encouraged to serve Christ as, as husbands and as fathers and as men. Single people need to be encouraged to serve Christ as single people. Suffering people need to be encouraged, don't they, to, to suffer and to serve Christ. We all, need to be, we all need to be encouraged. The Christian community is meant to, to encourage us. If you're not here, if you're not with these people, you can't receive that encouragement. You also need the Christian community to challenge you to greater faithfulness. That, that happens too in our text, all right? Paul here, he challenges us by his example. Notice what Paul asked them to, to pray for here. He asked them to pray that God will enable him to clearly and boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now just consider where Paul is when he makes this request, okay? He's a prisoner. He's in chains. He, he mentions his chains in, in verse 20. You'd think Paul would say something like, and pray for me also that my imprisonment might end and then I might get out of jail. That's not what he asked for. He asked them to pray that God will give him grace to clearly and boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel in the midst of his situation. And this is, this is really incredible if you think about it. I mean, what we are seeing here is a man who is more concerned about the glory of God than he is about his own comfort. 
In this request, Paul shows us his heart, does he not? He's more concerned with clearly and boldly proclaiming the gospel than he is with being released from his chains. God's glory is more important to him than his own personal comfort. And isn't this, isn't this the curse of our affluent American Christianity? That God's glory continually plays second fiddle to our comfort. It's not that we're not concerned with God's glory. We are. But not to the degree in many instances we're concerned with our own comfort. The fact is, the truth is, and I myself, I preach to myself too. I don't stand up here and point a finger. I preach to myself as well as someone living as an affluent American Christian. Most of us are more concerned with our comfort and with our ease than we are with God's glory. We're more concerned with getting out of our chains than we are concerned with boldly and clearly proclaiming the gospel. That's the reality that we live in the midst of. And that goes on in our hearts. Now listen, it's not wrong to pray about your chains. It's not. We are to cast all our cares upon the Lord. It's not wrong to pray about your chains, to pray about your sickness and your suffering and to ask God to heal you. It's not wrong. And yet even still, when Paul casted his cares on the Lord, what was his supreme care? God's glory. Doesn't that challenge you? This challenged me this week. It made me ask, am I really more concerned about God's glory than my own comfort? Really? I mean, I can say I am, but am I really? We're also challenged here by the, by the reputation of Tychicus. Look what Paul says about Tychicus. He says Tychicus is the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. That word minister, it's the Greek word diakonos. It can also be translated servant. Maybe we'll find more of an application if we use the word servant. But is this not like the, the best description, literally, that could be given to a Christian? Like for real. Tychicus is known as a beloved brother and a faithful servant in the Lord. Is there anything better that can be said about a person than that? This is, in my estimation, the supreme compliment that can be paid to a person in this life. He is a beloved brother, a faithful servant in the Lord. She is a beloved sister, a faithful servant in the Lord. In Ephesians 1.15, uh, Paul showed us what we should aspire to be as a congregation. In Ephesians 1.15, Paul said, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And when we preached on that like a year and a half ago, uh, I said, you know, that, that, that's, that's what we should aspire to be as a church. We should aspire to be a church about which people say, you know what, I've heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. I've heard of it. That's what we should aspire towards. That's what we should desire our reputation in the community to be. At the end of the letter, though, Paul shows us what we should aspire to be as individual Christians. We should aspire to be beloved brothers or sisters and faithful servants in the Lord. This is what we should desire people say about us at our funeral. 
He was a beloved brother and a faithful servant in Christ. He was a beloved sister and a faithful servant in Christ. Sinclair Ferguson writes this, what we read here should cause us to stop and pray, Lord, in my generation, in my sphere of service, in my fellowship, please make me like Tychicus. Indeed, we should want to be like Tychicus. Do you see what, what, what other believers do? Other believers, by their example, by their reputation, they challenge each and every one of us to greater faithfulness in service to Christ. You know what? In every church I've ever been a part of, whether it was the church I grew up in, the church I, I attended, that Aaron and I attended after we got married, before I went to seminary, the first church I served as pastor, or this one, in every single church I have been a part of, there have been people who challenged me to greater faithfulness. But if you only watch church online, you don't know these people. You don't. You can't be challenged by them. We need each other. Prayer and people are two indispensable resources which are to be used in conjunction with the whole armor of God in order that we might be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let's look at how Paul ends this letter. He says, verse 24, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Uh, uh, Paul has, has thoroughly expounded God's grace uh, in this letter to the Ephesians. It's probably the greatest word in the letter to the Ephesians. Paul has told us that our salvation is to the praise of God's glorious grace, and it's according to the riches of God's grace. He's told us that it's by grace you have been saved, and, and that in the coming ages, God is going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Okay, Paul has said much about grace, the very end of this letter, he makes it clear who the recipients of this amazing grace are. They are those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The NIV translates that last verse, grace to all who love the Lord Jesus with an undying love. That, that, that's the idea here. Don't be confused. But, but maybe to, to really understand the point, we, we should consider what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say grace to those who attend church. He doesn't say grace to those who give 10% of their income. He doesn't say grace to those who were baptized. He doesn't say grace to those who grew up in a Christian home. He doesn't say grace to those who prefer a certain style of worship. He doesn't say grace to those who, who listen to Christian radio. He doesn't say grace to those who are Dutch Reformed. He doesn't say grace to those who are against abortion or who are against racism or who are against same-sex marriage. He doesn't say any of that. He says grace to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question put to you at the end of Ephesians is simply this. Do you love 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there in your heart a true and real affection for him as your Savior and Lord? And I want you to look into your heart right now and ask yourself that question. Look into your heart. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you? If, if, if there's not love in your heart, then note well, your soul is in great danger. You, you, you are in spiritual trouble at this moment. And the only thing for you to do is to cry out to God for mercy. If there is love in your heart for the Lord Jesus Christ, then note well what Paul writes at the end of Ephesians. Grace is yours. Grace is yours. You are the object of the undeserved kindness and favor of God towards sinners that has been spoken about in this letter. It is you whom God has blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It is you whom God chose before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. It is you whom he predestined in love to be adopted as his child through Jesus. It is you who has redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of all your sins. It is you who has been sealed with the Holy Spirit upon believing the gospel. It is you who was dead in your trespasses and sins, but by God's power has been made alive through faith in Christ. It is you who has been brought into the one family of God through the shed blood of Jesus. It is you who has been gifted and equipped to serve this one family of God by the Holy Spirit, okay? You love Jesus? Grace is yours. All that God has done for sinners in and through Jesus, he has done for you. Hallelujah and amen. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, we thank you for your word. Lord, there is power in your word. And those of us who love Jesus have experienced that power in our lives. Help us to experience it again this day. For Jesus' sake, amen.